let's, uh, let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, we acknowledge that you're present here among us. And you're working. And you're speaking. And we welcome you. Holy Spirit, I ask for uh, grace on each of us to hear the words preserved in the scriptures for us this morning. I ask for open minds to truth, for empowered wills to follow. And I ask, um, God, that uh, each of us would be open to what you're saying to us. And so I ask, Lord, that you would preserve the truth as I look at the scriptures and as I speak, that you would uh, raise up in people's minds and hearts your very words. And we trust you. God, we say we trust you. Thank you for entrusting us with the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've got a number of questions this morning. I'm actually going to try to spend more time asking questions than giving answers. Uh, but practically speaking, yeah, there's going to be a lot of answers too. So, but I'll, I'll do my best. Um, my first question, this is a uh, hypothetical question, so you don't answer it, but in your spirit, you can answer it. If, um, if Jesus himself were to walk in the back doors, um, after we all got up from the ground, if Jesus came through the back doors and stood on this stage, and um, we asked Jesus, what does it mean to be a Christian? What do you think his answer would be? Don't, don't, don't shout it out yet. We're, we're going there. Just think about that. Out of all the books you've read and all the sermons you've heard and, and all the times you've read through the Bible, or maybe none of those are true for you. Maybe this is your first time even hearing the idea of Jesus and Christianity. What, if Jesus walked in and we asked the question, what's a Christian? What would he say? I'm a little tentative to say I know the answer because honestly, I don't know that I'm the one to determine that. But if you read through the Gospels and you see the life of Jesus and you listen to his words, I think that there's a good chance that if we ask Jesus, what does it mean to be a Christian, that Jesus would answer with two relatively simple words, follow me. I think he would say something like, just follow me implied, do what I do, say what I say, think how I think, act how I act, relate how I relate, love the Father as I love the Father, love your brothers and sisters as I love them, and on and on and on. I think that would be the the central message of Jesus' faith is just follow me, do what I do. So I'm going to read a, a place in the scriptures where Jesus says that. He starts in Matthew 4, 19. Um, by the way, you'll, you'll actually need a handout for this. Um, if you don't have a handout, put your hand up, and it will be placed within that open hand by Steve Sargent. Thank you. Um, on your handout is the scripture from Matthew 16. The first time you see in Matthew, Jesus talk about following him is Matthew 4.19. He comes up to the fishermen brothers and he says, you know, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's the very beginning. It's the first that uh, Peter and and the gang have heard about Jesus. The context of Matthew 16, which you have in your hands now, is much further on into his ministry. And in, in some ways, this is the hinge point of the gospel ministry of Jesus. 
So uh, what I want to do is uh, read from Matthew 16. I'm going to read it relatively slowly. And uh, at the end of the reading, I'm going to leave a few moments for silence. Don't be uncomfortable. I just want to be silent underneath the word of God so that the Holy Spirit has the first chance to speak to you from this scripture and not just me. So I'm going to read through it and then we'll have some silence and then we'll look at this text. This is the word of God. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. This is God's word. Amen. Some of you would like that silence to go for 20 more minutes. Not because you don't want to hear me speak, but because silence is not something that's present in your life. So I encourage you towards uh, cultivating times of silence. It's amazing what God can say to us when we're quiet. So this passage, Matthew chapter 16, is in many ways, as I said, the central part of the gospel. 
chronologically, it's not in the center of Jesus' ministry. It comes near the end of his ministry. But in terms of the, the content of this passage, the Bible commentators, the scholars will tell you this is a hinge point. Because at this point in Matthew 16, um, Jesus begins to talk about himself to the disciples in a different way. The disciples begin to look at Jesus in a different way. At, at this point in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is not just like, hey, good guy, we're going to follow him, lots of power, you know, lots of fun. All of a sudden, Jesus starts talking about the future, and there's a very ominous, almost eternal sense of the kingdom of God coming in strong and powerful ways, some of which they weren't ready for. So uh, I want to go through this passage, and really what I want to do is ask five questions. They won't be a surprise. They're already on your sheet, so you're allowed to work ahead. That's fine. You don't have to answer these questions today. I would encourage you to do so as much as you can. But I would encourage you this week, answer these questions. The The main thing I want to do is pose these questions so that you can go to God with these questions and that you two together can determine where you are with Jesus. If in fact the the most important thing and the the primary uh, declaration of Jesus about what it means to be a Christian is to follow him, then then whether or not we're following him and to what extent and in what ways, they're crucial questions for us. Fortunately, the scripture gives us some insight and so we'll... We'll get to go through this with Peter. So Jesus is coming to this region of Caesarea Philippi and he asks his disciples, so who do people say that the Son of Man is? It's a good question because at the time, the disciples didn't know really who Jesus was. They were trying to work it out. The people watching Jesus go through the land and teaching weren't sure. Some were saying like, maybe he's John the Baptist reincarnated. You know, Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe... I mean, we've never seen anyone like this, but what we hear about with the big dudes, it kind of looks like him. And they didn't know exactly um, who Jesus was at that point. And so Jesus says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? The Bible doesn't say he asked Peter, okay? It just says he asked them, who do you say that I am? But Peter, if you read through the Gospels, never uh, passes up a chance to be the hero, Right? Sometimes that works out for him, sometimes not so much. And so Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus, Peter makes a bold statement. I mean, Peter encapsulates the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah with that statement. The disciples would have known, okay, all of the Old Testament prophecies When Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, Peter is saying, all of the Old Testament prophecies pointed to you. You were in the beginning of all of this. You're the culmination of the redemption of Israel. You are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the one that we've been waiting for for 6,000 years. You are all it. I mean, Peter, Peter... Peter got a gold star on this one. My question is, who, who do you say that Jesus is in your life? Not who do you think he is, not who have others told you that he, who he is, not who did Randy say that Jesus was or my parents, 
Not what do the books say. Not what do you want Jesus to be for you. That is not the question. The question is who is Jesus? C.S. Lewis kind of answered this question in his C.S. lewis way. Uh, 1952, he wrote a book or compiled a book called Mere Christianity. And this is what he says about Jesus. He says, a man who was uh, merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg or he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He has not let that open to us. And, and that is what distinguishes our faith in Jesus from all of the other faiths and all of the other religions in the world. We're not saying Jesus was just a great moral teacher. He didn't let us do that. Josh McDowell put it this way. I remember this from 25 years ago in college when I first kind of came into a Christian ministry and learned about discipleship. I heard Josh McDowell say, here are your choices. He's a liar or he's a lunatic or he's Lord. That's probably where I got my sort of love of, you know, three-point sermons that all start with the same letter or something. (laughs) And I answered that question in college. Actually, I probably answered that question every single day in college, but I didn't answer it every day the same. You know, it is a question we answer every day. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus in my life? Who is Jesus in your life? You have to come to grips with that. You can't say, I'm I'm a Christian, but I don't know who Jesus is. You can't follow him and not know who he is. It's essential. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you can't answer the question, praise God that you're here. No shame. No condemnation. But you have an invitation from Jesus, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. That's the gospel message. If you're interested in that this morning, boy, do we want to talk to you and pray for you as you're seeking who is Jesus. So Jesus replies, you know, gives Pete the gold star. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, gives gives the whole name there. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by by my father in heaven. Jesus says, Peter, I mean, you're smart, okay, but you didn't get this one from human smarts or books. The Father in heaven revealed to you my true identity. Peter's feeling pretty good about things at this point. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades, that's hell or death, will not overcome it. So Jesus asks and Peter answers. Jesus says, you've heard from heaven and you've spoke heavenly truth. Jesus says, you've said the truth about my identity. And he turns around and he says, now, Peter, I want to tell you who you are. Peter, now that you've gotten your answer right and you know who I am, let's talk about you in relation to me. And he says, you are Peter. The Greek word written right there in the Greek New Testament, Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S. It means rock. 
you know, Jesus must have been having fun. You know, your name is Petros. And then the next line it says, and on this, the Greek would say Petra, P-E-T-R-A. Just same exact word and another placement in the sentence. Peter, isn't it fun that your name is rock? Because that's what you are. It means massive stone. It means like foundation stone. It means big slab upon which you, you build permanent things. He says, Peter, you know who I am. You got it right now. I'm going to tell you who you are. You are Peter. In fact, you are a rock. And on this rock, Peter, your confession of faith, your belief in me, I'm going to build my church. He's not talking about a physical building there. Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. Remember that? He's talking about the the called out ones. Church is just ecclesia, to, to call out. You know what Jesus said to Peter? I'm going to build my church. And he had you in mind when he said it. We are that church. We are those called out ones. And he said about you, same thing he said about Peter. In this church, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. The gates of hell won't be able to keep us from extending the kingdom. And he gives Peter all this good news. You're a rock. And, you know, this is your new nickname. And I'm going to give you authority. And you can loose and bind and... I mean, Peter is pretty excited about things at this point. Jesus asked Peter an identity question, and Peter gets it right. And then Jesus tells Peter who he is. So my second question today is, who has Jesus told you that you are? What has Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, pronounced upon your life? If you have a relationship with Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you have heard Jesus speak to you. You have. Jesus said, no one, comes to the fa- no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. God has issued a call to you in your life. And if you know who Jesus is, then he knows who you are. And he's beginning to speak that. The question is, who is it? Who are you? And this is where you don't go off and just read a book, you know, what are my spiritual gifts or, you know, who do I want to be like or, you know, what am I good at? Those are all fine things. But what determines our identity in our lives and the calling upon us is what does Jesus say about us? Who are you? Right now, are you that that Luke Durrell, diligent, inquisitive seeker who will sell everything once he gets the pearl? Are you that passionate lover of God? Are you that intellectual person who's going to discover God in a way that you can release God to other people? Do you have prophetic giftings? Who are you? Not just what do you do, but who are you? And if you have never heard, you don't feel like you've ever heard Jesus speak to you through the scripture, in your own heart, mind, in a dream, through another person, then afterwards I'm going to be so bold as to say we want to pray for you. Because if you belong to Jesus, he's been speaking and will help you open your ears. He longs to talk to you. It's our inheritance as God's people to hear Jesus tell us who we are. So from that time on, it says that Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus asked Peter, who am I? 
Peter says Messiah. Jesus says bonus points. Way to go. Now let me tell you about you. You're the rock. Going to build my church on your faith. You've got power beyond measure. You've got authority you can't imagine. And then Jesus turns the corner. He says, now, now let's go back to the thing about me. Let's talk about what Messiah means. And so Jesus starts to explain to Peter, when I think of Messiah, this is what I'm talking about. Jesus says, I've got an appointment to keep in Jerusalem and suffering's ahead. More than just suffering, death. And then, you know, he tags on at the end, you know, I'm going to die. And then three days I'll be raised from the dead. Do you think Peter heard that? I just kind of doubt it. Like Peter was so excited about he'd realized who Jesus was. He was the first to blurt it out. He got the commendation from the son of God. Then he gets this big prophetic word. And then Jesus begins to relate the rest of the story. This is what Messiahship looks like. It looks like suffering and service humility, and death, and resurrection. But I don't think Peter got that part. Because when Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, here's what Peter had in mind from all of our understanding of Jewish culture. You're the king. You do not humble yourself in front of anyone. You are ultimate power. Your rule and reign is indisputable in the land. And somewhere underneath there, Peter is saying, and I am right behind you. (laughs) Right? I mean, don't you think that's what Peter's thinking? No, you're the guy, and I said it, so I'm right behind you. So I'm not going to get hurt, no suffering, no pain, right? And Jesus turns it around and says, you know, all of those people that you've been so upset with, those scribes, those Pharisees, those teachers who put you down, call you ignorant, remember them, put you in jail, remember them, I'm going to them. And I'm going to subject myself to them. And Peter has got to be saying, hold on. This had to be a shock. I mean, it just had to be a shocker. So my question to you is this morning, what has Jesus said to you that has shocked or scared you in life? This scared the bejeebers out of Peter. I mean, he did a real stupid thing after this. We're getting to that, right? What has God said to you that you know is truth, but scared or shocked you? You know, many of us have heard a gospel, the gospel that is love, the love of God, that is peace. You know, Jesus went to the cross. He made payment. He reconciled us to the Father by paying for our sins on the cross. Romans 5, 5. Our hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he gave to us as a seal, as a promise for the future. We've heard that gospel of love and peace and power, and that is the gospel. That's the gospel I preach. Just remember that that the gospel is a two-edged sword. And the gospel is the power of love and the power of redemption and the joy of of God eternally. But there is this other side of the gospel that Jesus has to show them, and that is the path of suffering. It's the path of obedience. It's the path of humility and difficulty. It's the path of, I don't mean this in a military way, shock and awe. You come into the, to the kingdom and you think, it's all going to be great now. How many of you learned, well, well great is a relative term. 
So now I'm 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 not just going to go down the gospel of sadness. Now we we are a we are a people of the now and the not yet. We live in the time between the times. The kingdom is here, but not fully. Right? Joy came in Jesus, and suffering comes in following Jesus. Remember that great promise from Peter, the one you put up on your refrigerator, the scripture verse you love so much. All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Remember that promise? You don't find that in the books too much. Not a lot of posters. The people in Iraq are realizing the reality of that. The people around the world, the persecuted church, is realizing this is serious business. How has Jesus scared or shocked you? Some of us have heard the shocking news five or ten years into our marriage. What do you, what do you mean by forever? What do you mean by one woman, one man? Right? That's, that's some hard news for some of us. Some of us have come across this part where Jesus said, I want you to be holy as I'm holy. I want you to remain pure. How about forgive? No matter what, 70 times 7 equals infinity, right? We, we, we've got some shocking and some difficult words. Be honest with God about what he said that shocks and scares you. He can take it. He took it with Peter. There was a little bit of rebuke, but he took it. Peter didn't die. Peter did great things later on. How has Jesus scared and shocked you? Write it down. Be honest with God about it. So Jesus has begun to describe what Messiahship looks like from his point of view. And it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You know, it should, there should be a little phrase in the Bible that says, now be careful because Peter's about to do something really dumb. Because here's what Peter essentially says. Basically, he's saying, okay, everybody, this is the man who is the chosen one anointed by God to save us. He's the culmination of redemption for all of Israel. The world came through him, is sustained by him, and all is for him. He's the son of God himself. But on this little issue, I've got to tell him something. (laughs) On this little part, he's not quite right. So it actually says that Peter takes Jesus aside. As if Peter's going to say, okay, Messiah. Um, I think we've been through this before. Have you ever taken Jesus aside? I mean, I've done that, right? It's like, it's like Peter says to Jesus, you know, okay, I don't want to embarrass you in front of the gang, so I'm going to take you aside. I'm going to tell you the truth about you. I'm not just trying to make fun here. How many of us do that on a regular basis? We say, Jesus, this is who you are. This is who I am. Now, you're not following the rules here. So Peter says, never, Lord. I mean, it's very emphatic. Never. This shall never happen to you. Peter's starting his speech. Kings don't obey. They are obeyed. Kings don't humble themselves. They humble others. Kings don't die. They kill people, right? I mean, that's where Peter's going with this. And by the way, I've got to believe that there's a by the way in Peter's thought process, even if he didn't say it. I've got to think Peter's saying, and I have invested a lot in your ministry. (laughs) I mean, I gave it all up for you, right? 
And you're telling me we're going to death? I could have done that. (laughs) And so Jesus speaks back to Peter. And he says it real clearly. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. So you're thinking at this point, now Jesus is a little schizo because like two verses before, he gave the identity statement. You are Peter, rock, massive stone, foundation. Can you see Peter, you know, doing his thing? And now all of a sudden Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. This is not an identity statement. He gave the identity identity statement. You are Peter and on this rock I'll do this and I'll give you this authority and this power. But Jesus is saying to Peter, you know, when you talk like that, that's not God talk. That's not just human thought. That's devil talk. Jesus rebukes Peter. And when he says, get behind me, Satan, I don't think, I don't think that Jesus is saying, I don't want to see you anymore. You're not worthy to follow me. I think get behind me, Satan, is a call to discipleship. Remember, Peter takes Jesus away from everyone and tries to tell him what's going on. Peter says basically, Jesus, I will lead and you will follow. And, and Jesus, in the most dramatic way, says, no, that's not the case. If you try to lead me, that makes you Satan. So get behind me and follow me. It's a call to discipleship. Peter lives through this, you know? You, you, he lives through it. I actually have been called Satan before. Believe it or not, there was a person some time ago who disagreed with me on something, and when they were walking out of the building, they called me Satan. It didn't make me feel good. How do you think Peter felt? Wait a minute. You just told me who I was, and now I'm Satan? That doesn't seem fair. Jesus says, you're not thinking like God. You're thinking like man. Jesus said, is saying it's called discipleship. That means you're the learner and I'm the teacher. You're the follower, I'm the leader. And so Jesus says, you know, you were Peter, massive stone. But here he says, you've become a stumbling block. Just one more little bit of Greek fun here. The word for stumbling block, the Greek word is scandalon. Isn't that fun? Scandalon. We get our word scandal or scandalized from it. It's something that's offensive. It also, a scandalon in Greek is a little stone. It's something you, you, you slip on. It's something that you, you fall over. Not a massive stone, a little tiny one that gets in your way. So Jesus is saying to Peter, remember who you are, massive stone of faith. But when you talk like this and try to tell me what's what, try to, try, try to ask me to follow you rather than you following me, you become a scandal. You become a little stone that people will actually trip over instead of the massive foundation of faith that you're called to. What are the thoughts? What are the, what's the belief system that causes you to be a stumbling block? We all have it. Every believer has a place where, you know, it's that truth about Jesus or about us or about our relationship to him that we just can't stomach. It's just like, and we just want to say, God, no. And at that point, when we say, Lord, no, one of them isn't true, right? I mean, one, one of them's not right. You don't get to say that. And everybody has that place where you say, Lord, no. 
What is that for you? Be honest about that. Be honest with God about it. God can handle it. Jesus could handle it. The words were rebuke. Yes. It was public. Yes. It's written forever for us to read in the Bible. Yes. But Peter fulfilled his call in ministry through the rest of his life and gave his life for Jesus himself. What is it that causes you to become a stumbling block for yourself or for others? And we end here. Jesus says to his disciples, as if to sort of cap the sermon here, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus gives his own three-point sermon. You want to know what a Christian is? You want to know what it means to follow me? You want to live out my Messiahship as a follower of the Son of God? It means you say no to your agenda. It means there are actual things you want to do, long for, that you say no to. You deny yourself. It's not just denial Jesus is talking about because he goes further. Don't just say no to the stuff you want. You'll actually have to say yes to some stuff you don't want. Take up your cross. Pick up your electric chair. Pull out your lethal injection. I'm not talking about suicide. I'm talking about submitting your life to God in a way that feels like death. And in every one of us, in our call to Jesus, gets there time after time after time. Jesus has said it. You know it. You don't like it. He calls you to something. You want to choose your own agenda. Jesus says, just remember, here's what it looks like. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Follow me for the disciples in the first century meant walk in my dust. Walk behind me. Where my robe flows, let your robe flow. The dirt that comes from my heels, feel it, smell it, inhale it. Following was a very physical, palpable, I'm going where you're going, sleeping where you're sleeping type of a, of a thing. It's no different today, right? Jesus says, follow me. Where's Jesus leading you? That point is as much for me as anyone else. If, you, if, it, if it works for you, good, but it's, it's getting me bad right now. Don't tell Jesus what he can or can't do, what he must or must not do. There is a difference between Jesus as a gate, a portal of entry into the kingdom of God, and Jesus as the one that we follow day after day in the kingdom. And so we'll encounter Jesus some days with great joy and great power and great provision. And we will encounter Jesus some days with great suffering and difficulty. You know, in in Iraq... Today, this last week, people are dealing with questions that I don't think most of us could ever imagine. So in some of these Christian villages in Iraq, we're talking this month, talking about August 2014, militant Muslims from the Islamic State, so named Islamic State, are coming and saying, here's your choice, Christian, or non-Muslim sectarian of some other, like the Yazidis or someone like that. You become a Muslim... You pay a large fine or the sword. That's direct quote. That, that's what's happening out there. 
these people are having to consider what does it mean to follow Jesus. And I don't want to get all emotional here about it. I don't want to just pull on your heartstrings. I just want to speak, this is true. This is reality. I don't think any of us, I would say most of us, have not dealt with a command to follow Jesus that could end up in our death like that. And Jesus offers this. If you save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you get it. I'm witness that some of it we get in this life. I'm witness that some of it we get in the next life. Jesus is the leader and he gets to determine that. The question for us is, will we follow Jesus? Won't you stand? Let's pray. Ask the ministry team to come forward because some people will want to pray with others this morning. If this message this morning from Matthew 16 spurs in your heart the desire to know this Messiah, this Son of God, and you don't, then I would ask you to come down or turn to the person who brought you and say, I want to know Jesus. What Randy said scares me, but I want to know him because I want eternal life. I want sins forgiven. I want power in the midst of suffering. If you know Christ and you're having trouble answering any of those questions, be before God. He's present here. He's walking with you. He's speaking to you this morning. So, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would release the Holy Spirit who speaks and who convicts, who draws to righteousness, makes holy, and empowers. God, we want to be a faithful people want to be that church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. So Lord, release that faith and that courage, holy obedience this morning, honesty. We submit these lives we have to you and say, Jesus, give us grace to follow. We ask that we would do that in the power of the Holy Spirit so that the world around us would know that we have been loved with an everlasting love, that we've been called, that we've been redeemed and empowered, that we, in fact, have died, but have been risen, have been raised again with Jesus. We pray for the sake of Jesus and in his name. Amen.